0: morning, Bridge family. How you doing today? Nice. It's good to see you in church today. I hope that you are excited and grateful to be in the house of God. I'm excited to be here today. I'm grateful to be here today. And it's even better that we get to do this together. So, welcome to church. Good to see you in the house this morning. Before we jump into God's word, I just want to take a moment and welcome all of our guests today. If this is your very first time at the, at the bridge, if you are new or newer or new ish to the bridge, hey, welcome. We are so glad that you are here today. We just want to let you know that we value your presence and that we want you to help you find your place here in this family. So, thank you so much for being here again today. After service, hey, stop by the Info Center. It's right outside through this first set of exit doors. Just turn right. Our team is there serving at the Info Center. They'd love to answer your questions, tell you more about the church and how it is that you can get involved and get plugged in here with this family. You can also download our app. Just go to the app store right there on your phone and search the Bridge Church Marietta, and you'll find our app there. You can download it and stay up to date with everything that's coming up in church life. You can receive push notifications for all the, de- the various ministries of the bridge so that you can stay up to date. Hey, and one other thing, if you are new today here at the bridge and you've been looking to find your place, I just wanna encourage you to come to Connecting Point. It's happening next service in the 1130 service, right after the service through those double doors down the hallway at 1130, that will begin. You might not have registered for that, but you're thinking, hey, we'd like to check that out and really just learn more about how to get connected here at the bridge. We ask everybody to come to Connecting Point, especially if you wanna serve or lead a connect group. But if you wanna find out more about the church, this is your next step. So come to Connecting Point if you'd like to do that, and we would love to host you and your family. Bridge Kids will be happening during the next service as well. So again, welcome. Why don't we just put our hands together right now and welcome all of our guests to church today. Awesome. If you got your Bible, would you meet me in Matthew chapter 3? Matthew chapter 3. And I just realized right now that I, my faith is about to get tested because this bottle of water that was put on the table is already open. And... You know, it's all good. I love you guys. I'm just messing with it. It really is open already, though. But it's okay. I can wait for later, okay? But, (laughs) you know, here at The Bridge, we like to get into series at times, and sometimes we'll bring very specific one-off messages, and today I have a message in my heart that's very specific, and even though it's a specific kind of message, my prayer and my belief for this day is that's going to hit a very large target and a very wide audience, and so today I want to bring you a message called fully immersed. Fully immersed. And if you've been a Christian for a little while and you know your Bible then you probably know where I'm going. Today I want to talk to you about water baptisms. Now, I know that as soon as I say that there's people in the house that just very quickly were like, "Oh, I already did that." So today maybe this isn't for me. Actually, I've had this message in my heart for well over 2 years now and I've been looking forward to this day or the right time to kind of bring this message, but My hope today is that this message is not actually for a small group of people, but instead it's actually a challenge to a very wide group of people today. And so in Matthew chapter 3, I want to start there in just a few minutes to look at what water baptism is and and talk in depth about that and how this applies to our life. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story. A few years ago, I had a friend, and uh, he was a part of my home church. He was at the church that my wife and I met in. And this was probably, I would guess, 12 to 13 years ago. And this was at a time when social media was out there, not as many platforms as today. TikTok was never to be heard of, and quite frankly, you'll never see me on that one, okay? but. This was one of those times uh, with social media, it was in its infancy still, more people use Facebook than anything else, Twitter was growing, more people were coming to Instagram, and it wasn't a time yet where people were interacting with these platforms necessarily on a daily basis. It was far before the time where average people could become influencers and kind of like social media celebrities. And with that said, I'm talking to my friend one day, and he had had a hard time trying to figure out, you know, what God wanted to do with his life. And so we were talking about his job and his career, and he had some frustrations. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm thinking about starting a company. And I was like, well, that's cool. You know, what kind of company are you wanting to start? And he says, well, I'm interested in starting a social media management company where businesses, companies, they will kind of outsource their social media to me to handle it, to post, and to manage uh, social media for them. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And immediately I realized that I don't know anything about that. And I thought, well, if you've never done that before, you have to really have some expertise. So, you know, we talked a little bit about it, and he told me some of his ideas. And a few months later, we kind of reconvened at a church function this one night, and I asked him the question. I said, hey, how's your business idea coming? How's that going for you? And he says, oh, man, (laughs) I totally had to push pause on this business venture. And I said, why? And he said, because as soon as I tried to get started, I realized that I knew absolutely nothing about managing somebody's social media. And I said, really? And he goes, well, I thought I had an idea of how this would go, what the responsibilities were, what the strategies are that are involved in doing that. He said, so I reached out to a couple of companies and I quickly found out that there are already companies who have been outsourcing this and they have people managing their social media for them. He said, so I started looking at those companies and seeing what they do and how they do it. He goes, and I quickly realized, oh my gosh, I have absolutely no idea how to manage somebody's social media. And I thought, okay. I said, so... Did you quit? He goes, I didn't quit. I pushed pause and here's what I did. He said, when I found out that there was this one company that multiple other companies were using and outsourcing that business to, he said, I actually reached out to them and I began to ask questions. And then I said, hey, can I even come in and meet with you? Can I volunteer? You don't have to pay me anything. I just want to learn what it is that you do. He said, and then not only that, I actually took some other classes to learn more about how to do this. And he said, and and this is what I want you to take right here. He said, what I learned was I needed to immerse myself up front in learning and training what it means to manage social media. Because if I don't immerse myself in learning and training, I will jump into this endeavor, and I will become so immersed in the management of it that I'll get overwhelmed, and I won't have any success. I've come back to that story a few times over the last few years, most specifically because of the one word that he used twice in telling me that story. He used this word, immersed. You have to immerse yourself in training so that you can go forward and be successful. If you're not immersed in training on the front side, you can become so immersed in business that you're not ready for that it overwhelms you, and you can't go forward successfully into that endeavor. I've held on to that, and most specifically for this reason that really applies strongly today, because that word immerse is actually one of the definitions of the word baptism that we see in Scripture. When you look at the word baptism from Scripture, it comes from a Greek word, baptizo, which means to immerse, to wash, or to cleanse. And I want to talk about baptism kind of tying Old Testament to New Testament for just a moment, because when we get to Matthew 3 in just a moment, what we see, and many of you will be familiar with this story, But John the Baptist went around baptizing people, and he preached this message of repentance. Now, as a Christian, I've heard these stories all my life about John the Baptist, about Jesus being baptized, which we'll get into in a minute, and why other Christians should be baptized also. But one of the questions I never really stopped and asked was, what did those people, those Jewish people in the time of John the Baptist, think about baptism? Because we don't really see much much else spoke or written about baptism before that. So I had to go back and study this out, and one of the consistencies that I saw about baptism before we even get to the New Testament is there's this pattern that comes from Old Testament to New associated with ceremonial washing, In the Old Testament, now, we're not going to get too deep into the weeds of this, but I just want to identify this pattern from Old Testament to New real quick and connect these dots, okay? If you look in the Old Testament, what you see most specifically, I'll give you three examples real quick. In Exodus chapter 19, God commands the Israelites to consecrate themselves and wash their clothes to be ready for when he would come and appear to them. This is a cleansing or a washing that prepares them for the presence of God. In Leviticus chapter 8, Moses brought his brother Aaron and all of Aaron's sons, and he washed them in water to consecrate them to the Lord as priests. This was a Levitical ceremonial washing, which prepared them to enter into the presence of the Lord and serve him and do his work before the people. And then we see also in Leviticus chapter 14, That when an Israelite recovered from a skin disease, they were required to wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water before they could be present with the other Israelites and be considered clean. Another example of ceremonial washing under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. So by the time we kind of fast forward and get to John the Baptist... John the Baptist comes and he's preaching this message of repentance and he's asking people to come and be baptized. And if that was me just stepping onto the scene and I didn't have any prior understanding of what was happening here, maybe I wouldn't know why he was doing this. But a very Jewish audience that he was speaking to in that day understood this idea of ceremonial cleansing. So John shows up and he's preaching again a message of repentance. But what it says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 is it said that John comes and he says, Repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. It was John's duty and responsibility to go before Jesus, preaching a message of repentance. Now, we think of John the Baptist, and we tend to think that his primary goal and responsibility was to be a baptizer. And that's where he gets that name, because that's what he did. But John's greatest message was not just the gospel of baptism or the good news of baptism. In fact, it was a message of repentance. That was really his primary responsibility. So, John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 tells us a story of where everything starts to change and this idea of baptism goes forward into the New Testament and even into our lives today. And it all starts with Jesus. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse 13 and read this story very quickly of Jesus coming to John the Baptist. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And notice what happens in verse 14. And Job tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Verse 15, Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to baptize him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, let's just stop right here for a moment. We talked about what everything baptism represented up to the time, or or at the time of John the Baptist, looking back in an Old Testament context. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many people think that Jesus needed to be baptized? Well, see, John said, look, it's not me that should be baptizing you, it's you who should be baptizing me. Because if we take what's happening in baptism with this idea of cleansing, what John realized right away was that I'm not worthy to baptize you, it's you that should be doing this to me because I'm the one who is sinful and needs to be cleansed. See, the reason that Jesus didn't need to be baptized is because Jesus was without sin. He didn't need to be washed, he didn't need to be cleansed, and not only that, he didn't need to repent from anything. And that was John's main message. But yet Jesus shows up on the scene and says, no, 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 we're going to do this. You are going to baptize me. And the explanation he gives is so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. And if you study this out, what Jesus is saying here is he says, there's a pattern that I am going to set. There's a pattern of righteousness that God wants to start with me that's going to go straight through Israel, up into the Gentile church, and even to us today. And Jesus says, it is my duty, it is my responsibility to set this precedent so that others will follow. So, with all of that said, as we talk about kind of the nuts and bolts for a few few moments of water baptism, this is the first conclusion that we come to from this passage. The first conclusion is this. Baptism is the external expression of an internal decision. And this is the way that we primarily teach water baptism in the church today. We say that baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. And we see that. Why? Because John said, repent, repent and be baptized. So repentance is this inward decision that I make, that I want my life to be right with God, so I choose to turn from my ways. I have a change of mind, a change of heart, I follow Jesus, and my outward expression of the inward decision I've made is I am going to be baptized. But here's another question I want to ask you. Why is it that you and I should be baptized? Simple answer, because Jesus did it. How many know that if Jesus said it, I should obey it? If Jesus did it, I should follow. If Jesus set the pattern, I should make that my pattern and my custom as well. The highest reason that we should be baptized is because Jesus did it and we should follow in his footsteps. Does everybody agree with that this morning? Now, this is a room full of people that have made that decision at some point in your life, many of you. But I also know that there are a lot of people here that you're kind of in this relationship where maybe you have one foot in and one foot out and you're trying to figure these things out and maybe you haven't yet made a decision to be baptized. I want to talk a little bit more about why it is that we should do this, but then I'm going to bring it home later on and talk about the spiritual side of this also because my heart today is that a lot of people would reconsider water baptism, okay? So stay with me this morning and we're going to continue forward. Water baptism is a a whole lot more than just an outward expression of an inward faith. Because, yes, it's a response to what God has done inside my heart, but it's a whole lot more than that. What if God is wanting to do something in my life during water baptism? Look at Mark chapter 16. Now, we're very quickly going to look at two parallel passages, and both of these give us what we know as the Great Commission, in two different records, okay? So Mark chapter 16, this is Mark's account of Jesus in a shorter, more condensed version of the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But watch what he says next in verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe Now, we're going to talk through this whole passage right here, and I know there's already questions that some of you are asking in your head as we read through that, and we're going to do our best to answer those very quickly, okay? But I want to point out to you very quickly, we said already that baptism is an outward expression, expression of an inward choice or inward belief. But notice here the two B's that Jesus puts together. He says those who believe and are baptized will be saved. What Jesus is saying here is that belief and baptism go hand in hand. And then he goes on and he says, but those who do not believe will not be saved or they will be condemned. Now, those are harsh words, but the good news is I didn't say it, Jesus did, okay? So blame him. But this immediately brings us to a couple of questions. And I want to point out to you really quickly, notice that Jesus does not say, he who is not baptized will be condemned. He says, he who does not believe will. Will be condemned, And the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because Jesus makes it very clear that the believer's next step after belief is baptism. But he puts the emphasis on belief, not lack of baptism. Does that make sense to everybody? Because one of the questions that a lot of people ask, okay, is Jesus saying right here that if I'm not baptized, I'm not really saved? Now, that's a fair question when you look through Scripture, when you stop and ask that. And to just put everything on the table, there are lots of Christians that actually believed that. There are many Christian denominations that build doctrines on that, and that's kind of where they stand and why they stand there. But Jesus doesn't put the emphasis on baptism only. He puts the emphasis on belief and baptism. But if you do not believe, you could face condemnation. And the point I want to make to you here is sometimes we get stuck when we read through this passage and we say, is Jesus saying that if you're not baptized, you're not saved? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think this is the better question to ask. If I do believe, why wouldn't I be baptized? Everybody with me so far this morning? If I do believe, why wouldn't I be baptized? I mean... Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're like, you know, I believe in Jesus. I've accepted him as my Lord. I've made him my Savior. I want to follow him. But if you're honest with yourself, maybe you've got the believe part right, but you've never followed him in water baptism. Can I ask you to reconsider water baptism this morning? Now, we're going to keep going here, but I want to make sure that I get all of this correct because... In these two parallel passages that I want to read through, what we see is that Jesus is making it very clear that belief and baptism go hand in hand. And again, the question is not, does my salvation hinge on baptism? The question is, if I believe, why would I not also be baptized? Now, let's go forward. I told you we're going to look at parallel passages. That was Mark 16, okay? Look at Matthew chapter 28 with me this morning, all right? Look at what Jesus says here. And Jesus came, verse 18 and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven, where else? And on earth. So that means that in this moment, this is when he's about to give the Great Commission, before he ascends into heaven. At this very moment, Jesus is holding all the authority of Father God in heaven. Okay? So he has authority over all things, but not just authority over all things. His words carry the very authority of Father God, our Creator, in heaven. Look at what he says next. So, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And doing what else? Teaching them to observe. Oh, man, now that's a big one right there. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And as a result, what is the outward sign of that inward belief? That they would be baptized. And what else do they need to be taught? To observe all things that I have commanded you. And to you, I am, excuse me, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now again, these are parallel passages in the Great Commission, but here's what I want to show you. This is the second conclusion that I come to. We said first conclusion was that water baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith, but it's a whole lot more than that. Second conclusion, if you're taking notes, water baptism is the believer's first step of obedience after salvation. I'll say that again so it can sink in with everybody. Water baptism is the believer's first step of obedience after salvation or after belief. So, if that's my first step, then... That means that once I've been saved and I see this biblical pattern of baptism after belief and baptism after salvation, I have to make a decision what foot I'm going to step out on in my walk with God. Am I going to step out on an obedient note and say, God, I follow you, I follow Christ in water baptism, or am I going to step out and hear me gently, but am I going to step out in disobedience and not do this the way that Jesus asked us to do it? After salvation and after belief, it's up to me to make that choice for myself. Can I tell you something? We've been given that instruction, but Jesus doesn't just supernaturally lift you up out of bed and say, no, you got to go do this, do it now, I'll carry you there, I'll put you in, I'll get you dressed, I'll get you changed, all that stuff. No, it's our call, it's our choice, it's up to us to follow him obediently in baptism after belief. Is everybody with me this morning? This isn't a word of condemnation whatsoever. In fact, it's a word of encouragement, because what if God has more in store for all of us he's just waiting on us to obey? Is that possible? We're going to unpack more of that in just a few minutes here. Let me say this again. It's up to us to determine how our walk with God will begin. Is it going to begin in obedience and doing the first thing he's commanded us to do? Or is it going to begin in disobedience where maybe I haven't entered in yet to everything that God has for me through water baptism? So those are our first two conclusions. Now, let's keep going forward. And i I got another thing that I want to show you here, okay? Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, we are a spirit-filled church, and when we talk about Acts chapter 2, we like to get excited about that, because that talks about the day of Pentecost, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church. And all of that is wonderful and fantastic, but so much of what happens in Acts chapter 2 is set up by the disciples and the apostles' obedience to what Jesus instructed them to do. So let me read to you here, starting in verse 37 of Acts 2, a couple more observations that I want to give you. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, and this is talking about Peter's message to the Jews who heard and they saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And just a quick refresher here, what we see is that we have these people who are gathered in the upper room and they've been praying for the Holy Spirit to come and suddenly it came like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire come and they rest upon these people and they begin to speak in other languages that are not their own. What was so cool about it was that other people who did not speak their language heard them speaking in their language and what they heard them say was proclaiming the works of God and it identified that God is in this thing. And so they ask these questions, and Peter stands up and he brings this message. And he says, No, this is the promise. This is what the prophet Joel talked about. This is what Jesus said we were waiting for and praying for. And so he begins to give them this message, and he brings them the gospel and says, This Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Savior. And he talks about everything that that crucifixion and his resurrection, which they saw with their own eyes, represented. And he tells them that if they would put their faith in Christ, they would be saved, they would experience salvation. And this is what it says in verse 37. Now, when they heard this message that Peter brought, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I love this part of the verse, and here's why. Because one of the things that I've noticed is that when I come into the house of God, especially on Sundays, and I encounter the presence of God, and I feel like the word of God is speaking to me and getting my attention, my immediate response internally is always this. So what do I do? What do I do with this? What do I do with this message that's been given to me? Because I don't want it to just stay here in this moment and just in my heart. I want it to affect my hands and my feet and every other area of my life. And these guys asked this very earnest question to the apostles. They said, So what do we do? We love the message. It hits home here. We believe, yes, that Jesus that we crucified, that was resurrected, and you saw him with your own eyes. Look at this supernatural thing that's just happened. And God does things like this all the time in our lives that draw us to him. And our response has to be, okay, so what do I do? And Peter gives them a response and tells them what it is that they're supposed to do next. Look at verse 38. So Peter said to them, Repent! Isn't that right there, the very first thing that happens at salvation? We believe, so we repent. We choose to change our mind, allow God to change our heart, and we walk in a new direction following after him. He says, repent, and watch this, and let every one of you be what? Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, again, let's just pause right there for a moment because this begs another question. So, does the forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins, the cleansing of sin happen because of baptism? Well, you could make an argument for that if you only want to pull baptism out of that passage. But what did Peter say first? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Why? Because belief and baptism go hand in hand. Everybody with me so far? So repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Doesn't sound a whole lot different than today. And finally, verse 41 Then those who gladly received his word were what? Baptized, and that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, let's stop right here for a minute. I love this passage because throughout the course of my life as I've read it, we know that right here in Acts 2, this is the birth of the church, right? What's so cool is, in hindsight, as I look back to the way I've always looked at this passage and kind of believed this passage, I I think of what I picture is something similar to what church looks like for most churches on a Sunday. Peter gives the message, and 3,000 people open the heart and say yes, and so it went like this. All right, everybody repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I accept you. I believe in you. I believe in your sacrifice. I believe you are raised from the dead. I put my faith in you. I want to walk with you, follow you, know you for all my life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's a prayer of commitment. But scripture in Acts 2 makes it really, really clear. We don't know if they had a prayer that was like repeat after me, but one thing we do know is those who believed were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added to them that day. Now, I want you to get this picture with me for just a moment, because when I start to think more about this, I don't just think about 3,000 people saying yes to Jesus in their heart and verbally with their mouth. I think of 3,000 people, whether it was that day or a continuation over the next couple of days, saying, not only do I believe this, but I believe it so strongly that I'm willing to go and get baptized right here and now. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to do what I'm called to do, be obedient and get baptized. And that's not something that we always do on every single Sunday here at the bridge. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But just picture this for a moment with me, okay? I imagine these people standing there hearing this message and then a few minutes later, after Peter tells them what it is that they're supposed to do, I imagine this crowd of people, everybody in herds running down to the river. And as everybody followed them down to the river, everybody's down there walking out and it's like the entire crowd is dripping wet, their hair's disheveled, The ladies' makeup's all messed up, they ruined their old-school sewn-together sandals, and they couldn't have been happier about it. Their clothes are all wrung out, and they're sitting there trying to get the water out of their robes and their tunics and all this other stuff. And I picture that as if, like, this thing that was seemingly ordered a little bit earlier has now veered off into this, and everybody's a mess. Except as everybody comes up out of that water with hair messed up and clothes all disheveled, they come out and some people are shouting for joy and they're saying, Jesus has saved me and I've been redeemed, I've experienced salvation, I've been made new and I'm going to walk with him all the days of my life. And then there were other people and then there are other people who came up out of that water with tears coming down their face and they said, we've been waiting all our lives for this message. And Jesus did this for me. And while some shouted and some cried, I imagine all these different people of different emotional responses and different spiritual responses coming together and embracing and putting their arms around each other and celebrating what God has done in their life as a family and as a community. And as crazy and disorganized and as disheveled as it might have been, it was an amazingly beautiful thing to watch the way that these people responded in that moment. i got to be honest with you. I would love to see the day where every single Sunday when we ask people if they want to make a decision to follow Jesus and they say yes, we say, okay, do you really want to follow Jesus? And they say, yeah, we really do. I'm like, okay, come on, let's do it now. Like, I want to get to that place. I would love to to us get to a place where we're doing that one day. I would love it if every single person in this room, when you walked outside, you noticed that the foyer floors are all wet. And you're having to do your best not to slip and slide around, and you're like, well, what's going on? But over in the corner, there's this group of wet people who are standing there and embracing. Some are laughing, some are shouting, some are crying, but the one thing they have in common is this sense of rejoicing That as disheveled and as chaotic as this all might seem. God has saved our souls, and he has done something amazing. And because God has done something radical for us, we are willing to do something radical for him, and we will follow him in water baptism. Everybody with me this morning? My hope is that it's going to hit a broad target of people today. But here's the third conclusion that I take away from that passage of Scripture. And hear my heart on this. Water baptism is my radical response to the radical work that Jesus did for me on the cross. When I stop and think about water baptism, I know that maybe you're here today and you believe in God, you've put your faith in Christ, but maybe somewhere along the way you just kind of skipped over that step and thought, you know, I got this. And it's kind of take it or leave it. And maybe that seemed a bit radical. Well, people might, you know, they're going to see me wet coming up out of the water, and I don't really like the shape that I'm in, and it doesn't look good when my hair gets messed up, and when my makeup starts to go all over my face, like that's just not a pretty sight. I wouldn't want anybody to be taking pictures or or filming this moment. But there was something radical that happened in the early church where none of that stuff mattered because Jesus had done something so radical for them that they were willing to do something radical in response that were willing to be obedient and follow Christ in water baptism. Now, everything we've just talked about helps us to understand what water baptism is and how it happened in the New Testament early church. But in the few moments that we have left, I want to talk about the spiritual side of this because everything we've just talked about is my response. This is what I do in obedience, right? So water baptism, number one, it's my outward expression of my inward decision. Number two, it's my first step of obedience as a believer. And number three, it's my radical response to the radical work that Jesus has done for me on the cross. All of these are my responses. But let's, let's talk about the spiritual side in conclusion today in this message. What's the spiritual side of water baptism? Because people see water baptism from a, diff- a distance and they ask the question, well, what happens in that water? Do they put something in it? Do they heat it to like this one specific temperature, that one book in the New Testament? It's nothing like that. It's all accessed by faith, but let's talk about the spiritual side of water baptism for just a moment. And we're not going to go to these passages of Scripture, I'm just going to refer to them very briefly. But in Hebrews chapter 6, you know, we don't know who the author or the writer of Hebrews is. But in Hebrews chapter 6, what we see is that the writer is actually speaking correction to a church that's becoming spiritually immature, And all throughout chapter 5, he's talking to them about spiritual maturity. And at the very beginning of Hebrews 6, he tells them what a lot of us would refer to as the six foundations of the Christian faith. And we're not going to dive into all those things. But he says, faith, repentance, water baptism, the laying on of hands, resurrection, eternal judgment. Six foundations of the Christian faith. The third of which is water baptisms. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, listen... Everybody who's in relationship with God should be continually growing in their maturity by taking these steps of obedience that God has placed in front of them. And if you'll do that, you'll grow in your maturity. So we shouldn't have to go back and relay a foundation of these things. In other words, I think what he's saying is sometimes what we do is we enter into this relationship with God because we want all of these great benefits, but sometimes we also skip past steps one and two of obedience when God's wanting to build a firm foundation in our lives. And so the first thing I want to say to every person in the house today is the reason why water baptism is emphasized all throughout the New Testament is because it's one of the foundational pieces of God building spiritual maturity into our lives. And I'm going to say another thing, and this is a strong statement, but I have never met a Christian who did anything great for God that was not baptized in water. And this is, again, not a word of condemnation, but I've met a whole lot of Christians who are struggling to grow and mature in their walk with God because they've refused to take some of those initial steps of obedience. Please, not a word of condemnation. Be encouraged to reconsider water baptism. So we see here in Hebrews 6 that God wants to use water baptism as one of the foundations that grows us in our spiritual maturity. But here's the second thing I want to show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, the Apostle Paul is speaking here to a very Jewish audience in this portion of scripture. And he essentially goes on and he tells them that our forefathers, they went through the sea and were baptized into Moses. And what he's talking about here is the Red Sea. How many people know the story of God delivering Moses, delivering the Israelites out of Egypt and he's gonna take them toward the promised land and they run into the Red Sea and God parts the waters. And then once they walk across on dry land, God brings the waters back down and it comes down and crashes over and destroys all of Pharaoh's armies. And so they leave the land of bondage and they enter into the land of promise. On the spiritual side, one of the things that God wants to do in our lives in water baptism is God wants to wash away the bondage and slavery of your past, and he wants to walk you into the freedom of his promises for your future. And again, the first point we made today was that baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision, and that's true, but I'm here to tell you, my friends, that baptism is a whole lot more than that. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to be water baptized, but you're following Christ and you believe with all your heart that God wants you to live victoriously, but you're like, man, I just can't seem to get past some of these things that are just hanging around my neck and hanging off my back. It's like a slavery or a bondage from my past that I can't let go of. Can I ask you today, have you been baptized in water? Or what about this? Maybe at some point in your life, you were baptized in water at a young age. And then later on, You entered into your own life, your own path. You went a different way. You weren't committed to living and walking with Christ. But then you had this awakening and God did this work in your life and you came back and you made a decision. I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Here's the cool part about this. The Israelites go across the Red Sea and Paul compares this in 1 Corinthians 10 to a a type of baptism for the Israelites. In fact, he says that you were baptized into Moses at the sea. That's specifically what he says. He says, But later on, because the Israelites floundered in the wilderness before getting to the promised land, before they could enter in, what did he have them do? They crossed the Jordan, and they got to get their feet wet to walk across and get into the land of promise. Now look at that picture, and I see this second opportunity where God says, you might have made some mistakes. Even though you committed to me a long time ago, and you made some mistakes along the way, I'm giving you another opportunity so that you can be washed again and step into all the promises that I have for your life. Maybe that's you and you've recommitted your life to Christ, can I ask you, would you consider water baptism? Would you reconsider water baptism? The spiritual note that I'm gonna give you from that 1 Corinthians passage. At water baptism, God wants to wash away the bondage of the past and walk me into the freedom of his promises in the future. Final thought, the spiritual side of water baptism. Colossians chapter two. Now, This is our adult service. Bridge Kids is happening over there, which means that for the most part, this is all adults. So can we take a moment and be adults? Everybody commit to being an adult for just a moment. Thank you. Paul and Timothy wrote the book of Colossians, and this is what he says in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And here he's referring to circumcision as an old covenant thing that the people of God, the Israelites, had starting with Abraham. But now he says, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This is a different kind. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, here's the point that I want to make here before we wrap up. This concept of circumcision was something that went back to the Old Testament where if you were entering into that Abrahamic covenant with God, something that God required of all the Israelites, this was the covenant sign for all males that they would be circumcised. I'm going to try not to use my hands as we talk about this. (laughs) It was a covenant sign. It showed, I am in covenant with God. And in fact, God was so serious about this in the Old Testament that those Israelites who chose not to be circumcised could be cut off from the other Israelites and not be able to enter into the blessing of God's covenant. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because by the time we get to this portion of Scripture... Paul is now taking baptism and equating it to circumcision and really what he's saying here is that baptism for you and I as New Testament believers, New Covenant believers, this is a covenant sign that we are in relationship with God. I've read this passage so many times. I heard a preacher talk about this not too long ago and helped me understand it so much more. And again, we're being adults for a minute here, okay? We'll go back to being childish in just a second. Medically speaking, Still today in the United States, the two main benefits of why males are circumcised after birth is hygiene, cleanliness, and sensitivity. I never thought of it this way when I read through Scripture and recognized that, number one, as we just said, at water baptism, God wants to cleanse some things off of my life. It's a hygiene issue with God when we choose to get baptized. But not only that, you see this pattern that develops all throughout Scripture. Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. I want to tell you, my friends, that God wants to grow your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit if you will choose to be baptized in water. And as I say that, maybe that hits home with you because you're thinking, man, I've been walking with God for a while, but I just feel like I have a hard time hearing his voice. I feel like when I need that wisdom from on high, when I'm facing difficult decisions, I lean in, but sometimes it feels like it's hard to hear what he's wanting me to do or telling me to do or where he's leading me to go. I wanna ask you, have you been baptized in water? Because it's our first step of obedience as believers. And what if God wants to do something so supernatural in that moment that it creates this heightened sense of sensitivity that we can tune into everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through our lives afterwards? Scripture tells us that after Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Can I tell you this? The Old Testament priests, before they would go into the Holy of Holies, they had to do three things. They had to sacrifice and lay down the blood of the Lamb on the altar. Then they had to cleanse with the water, representative of baptism. And then they had to be anointed with the flask of oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit coming upon them. It was a godly order that was established in the Old Testament. And is it possible that some of us as Christians have maybe skipped step number two, thinking that we could still enter into everything that God has? for us that's not a word of condemnation in fact it's an invitation an invitation for all to reconsider water baptism so today i believe the third spiritual part of this is at water baptism god not only wants to wash things out of my life but he wants to bring me into a greater level of sensitivity to the leading of his spirit Maybe you're here today again and you've never been baptized. Would you consider being baptized in water? Because I believe that God has a whole lot more in store for you, but maybe he's just waiting on you to take your first step or your next step of obedience. Maybe you've been baptized, but at some point, some point in your life, you walked away, but you've recommitted your life to Christ. Would you consider being baptized again and saying, God, there's things that have come into my life, but I want you to wash those things out of my life, and I want sensitivity to the leading of your Holy Spirit what about this maybe God's done a work in your marriage maybe you were baptized a long time ago you went your own way and then years after marriage you and your spouse have committed yourselves to following Christ together would you consider being baptized together and allow God to wash things out of your life and give you a sensitivity as a couple that will lead you into everything that he has for your life Final thing, a couple of years ago I was at a conference and I heard a message about water baptism, and it just, it was kind of like Acts 2, it just cut me to the heart. And this man was talking about how a lot of us, we choose to get baptized when we're kids and we don't even know what we're signing up for sometimes, or maybe someone chose for us to be baptized. But true baptism, according to the way Jesus says it, baptism follows belief. So we here at the bridge believe that we will baptize people who understand what it is that Jesus did for them and what it is that baptism means. But at this conference I was at, one of the most touching things I've ever seen, they actually had baptisms at a pastor's conference. I went outside and with just tears coming down my face I watched this long line of pastors going up to be baptized because they said, I got baptized when I was a kid and I didn't even understand everything I was doing then and since then I have such a better understanding and if there's anything that I didn't allow to go through that water, I want God to wash that off of me and I want to be totally sensitive to the leading of his spirit all the days of my life. It was one of the most touching things I've ever seen. And so stand here today and I'm encouraging everybody to consider water baptism. You might say, well, that sounds good and I'd kind of like to do that, but it'd be kind of embarrassing to say I got baptized then and then do it all over again. I'm going to put myself at the front of the line because I've decided that I'm going to do it too. And I'm not saying that for me. I'm telling you, if you've never been baptized, if you've recommitted your life to Christ, or you want to see God wash some things out of your life and you want to go forward in strength and the power of his Holy Spirit, Maybe you'd like to reconsider and you can join me. We're actually going to be doing it on the last Sunday of this month, on the 27th of February. And I would encourage everybody, just take an inventory of your heart and ask the question, should I be water baptized? Have I been obedient? Have I taken my next step of faith? Have I laid the right foundation to step into all that God has for my life? Is that good with everybody this morning? Mm -hmm. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Father, I know that you've put this message in my heart, and today I've delivered it to the best of my ability, but I can't talk anybody into doing something. It's not even my motivation. I just know what you've asked me to do today. God, I pray that you would go to work in people's hearts. I pray in Jesus' name that you would not just bring about conviction, but you would just bring comfort right now in this moment and encourage people and let them know that you have more for them. And God, for every person here who's considered it, reconsidered it, thought, maybe I will, maybe I won't, I pray that you would encourage them to take that next step and be baptized in water so they can go forward in faith and strength. In Jesus' name. Finally, last thing, maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to commit your life to Christ. I want to tell you that God has so much more in store for you than you even know. He's just waiting for you to cross that divide and come into relationship with him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to remind you that All of us become separated from God because of our sin. But God, in his great love and mercy, bridged that gap by sending Jesus, the sinless, spotless son of God, to die in our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven and wiped clean of our sin. If we would put our faith in him, we could experience salvation, have a relationship with him, and have security in our eternity. I want to pray a prayer right now, and I want to invite as many people as possible. We're going to pray this together to join this prayer, put your faith in Christ, and mean it with everything inside of you. Come on, right out loud, let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe you're the son of God and your death was payment for my sin. I believe you were raised from the dead so that I could have new life. So I put my faith in you this day. I will walk with you. I will follow you. I will learn your ways into eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, last thing from me before Pastor Gary comes in just a moment, if you made that decision to follow Jesus today, we really wanna help you start your relationship with God because you shouldn't do it on your own. We have a simple book, a tool that's called The Next Seven Days, and we would love to put it in your hand if you made that decision and you're ready to follow Jesus. We would also encourage you to register to be baptized at the end of this month on February the 27th. You can just go to the Bridge app. You can also go to our website and click on the baptisms link and you'll be able to register right there and we'll send you all the details and instructions. But if you made that decision today, and you're ready to get started in your walk with God, stop by and see one of our prayer teams right after service. They'll be along these side walls after service. You can get the book there. We don't need anything from you. If you need prayer, that's why our teams are there. But we want to encourage you and help you get started in this journey. You can also stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We just want to help you start your relationship with God because you should not do this alone. Hey, let's put our hands together and welcome some people into God's family today.
1: Hey, can you just, uh, one more time, just give Pastor Zach a thank you for that message today. That was great. I want to say two things uh, about this message. Number one, you say, well, Pastor, what's your response to this? I say, amen. Amen. Second thing, I promise you, I promise you. You follow the Lord in water baptism, and it will open the door to brand new things in your life. I promise you it will. So take that to heart. A lot of times you hear a message it's like, well, let's hurry up and get out of here. We're going to go to brunch or lunch or whatever's next. No, we need to let this word ring in our hearts today and let God use it. Because when Zach was a little boy, I baptized him in water. But we're getting ready to do it again in a few weeks because he needs it. He needs it. Hey, you know what? I I love you guys so much, and I want to share one thing. Uh, This is the time in service when we worship God with our giving. And I always say with worship time and, and giving, you can't separate giving from worship and worship from giving. Giving is a part of it. And I don't ever want us as a church to lose the fact that when I... Give to god out of my finances the money he's blessed me with it's a time of worship in my life whether it's on sunday morning or whether you do it when you pay your bills however you do it online if you do it on your phone it needs to be a time of worship but it's also a time of thanksgiving and faith and i want to thank you guys for your faithfulness every week i i tell the pastors be sure and thank the people for their giving but 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 you know honestly You don't need me to thank you because you're not giving to me. You're giving to God. We're honoring God for his goodness in our lives. And I got to tell you, we are touching our valley and our world with the finances that God gives us. So I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. Choose the way that's best for you. If you're in the house and you're giving a physical gift today, there are giving boxes, giving stations on each side of these exit doors out of the auditorium. Do it in worship and Thanksgiving today. And I promise you, God sees it. God will bless your life for your obedience to him. And then final thing just before we go, some of you guys are wondering, the last Saturday of this month, which will be February 26th, will be our next Bridge Men meeting. We'll have more in social media and we'll have more in video announcements the next couple of weeks. But make a note of it, guys. February 26th, next Bridge Men meeting meeting and we got to try to stay with the women all right because they had a great night on friday night i mean a great great night uh they had the youth center jammed the place out and so we're gonna jam the place out guys <laughs> women are laughing at us did, did you get that your wives are laughing at you okay hey i love you guys have a great great sunday we'll see you next week